Hello, Real Life Family. Happy Christmas Eve. <laughs> and today, as we are uh, on the brink of celebrating Christmas as families and friends, uh, this evening we'll be celebrating Christmas Eve and having candlelight services. Uh, this morning, I wanted to share a message with you uh, just about comparing and anticipating um, celebrating Jesus' first coming, but also anticipating His second coming. And uh, the word Advent in, in, uh, uh, that's kind of familiar to a lot of people is really about this idea of celebrating Jesus' first coming, but also anticipating His second. It's not just about Christmas, but it's also about the second coming of Jesus. And this morning I want to take a few minutes to talk about those two and compare Jesus' first coming with His second coming and to celebrate His first coming, but also to stir up a greater anticipation for His second coming. And so let's do that together. Advent, like I said, is a season observed in most Christian denominations um, as a time of expect, expectant waiting and preparation for both the celebration of the nativity of Christ at Christmas and the return of Christ at the second coming. And the word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming, which is a translation of the Greek word in, in the New Testament, parousia. So this is the coming, the coming of Jesus. And there's two comings, as we know, and as we've been talking about lately. So let's first uh, look at his appearing and compare his appearing uh, between the two. First of all, in his first coming, Jesus came as a baby. Think about that. The one, the one who made us, uh, you know, the, 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 the divine nature, the, the son of God who, uh, through whom all things were made and by whom all things were made and through whom all things hold together. He shows up as a baby. He comes as a baby and he was vulnerable and needy and he was given gifts, wasn't he, by the Magi. People brought gifts to him and he came naked and he came without anything. He came completely, uh, and he set his divine nature aside, his, his God's, God part aside, and he came as one of us. And he needed, he needed us to actually care for him. He needed other human beings to care for him. It was just amazing humility that God would place himself in that position. But he comes to be a part of us, to identify with us. And so that's just an amazing thought. So Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 6 to 8 says this. We should have the same attitude as Christ. Um, and then it goes on to say, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so the Bible commissions us, challenges us, God challenges us to have the same attitude of Jesus, who set all of his privileges aside, all of his pride, you know, all of his position, all of his power, humbled himself and became a servant, even not just entering into um, humanity, but allowing humanity to actually put him on a cross. And he served us by giving his life 
for us. What humility that God has shown to us. What love, what grace that he has shown to us. And so we celebrate that Jesus came as one of us. He came as one of us in order to not just identify with us in our pain and in our struggles and in our sorrows, but to heal us and to set us free. Thank you, Jesus. However, his second coming, his second appearing will be very different than that. <laughs> in his second coming, Jesus will come as the ruling king of creation. He will come in power and glory, and he will be bringing gifts and rewards with him. He will bring a sword and he will yield it with ultimate authority. So the Bible says in Revelation 19, 11 through 16 of his appearing, John is seeing this vision and he says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so we anticipate Jesus coming in great glory and power to rescue and reward those who have believed on his name. What a contrast, huh? Now concerning his role, let's look at his role. In his first coming, Jesus came as the suffering servant. His role was to give his life, to pay for our sin, and to save us from death. He was the only one who could do this. And that was his role. That was his mission from heaven. He came to be the Lamb of God, the sin offering for all of mankind's sin. He opened a way for man, for you, for me, to be reconciled to God. And in fact, he said this in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one gets to the Father. No one can be reconciled to God except through me. Except through me. And it wasn't a prideful declaration. It was just the truth. He's the only one who is able to bridge the gap of our sin be between us and God because he paid for it. He's the only one who could pay for it, and he did. So he announces that he is the way. We go through Christ. We place our faith in him, the Son of God, to get, to, to get forgiven of our sins, to be reconciled to God, to have the gift of eternal life. And eternal life is a gift, but it needs to be received. And it can only be received when we place our faith in Jesus. So this was his role when he came the first time. He took on the role of the suffering servant. He suffered for us. And so we celebrate that Jesus has made a way for us to be forgiven and of our sins and to be restored in relationship with God. However, his second coming, he will have a very different role. In his second coming, Jesus will come not as a suffering servant, but as the conquering and ruling and reigning king. He will come as a king, not a servant. 
His role will be to judge the wicked and to rescue the righteous. He will establish his kingdom by putting an end to evil on the earth. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. He's going to put an end to all other kings, to all other lords. No one else will be in charge. Jesus will rule and he will reign over all. Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah 14.9, through the Lord says this, The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. So we anticipate Jesus returning as king to put an end finally to all evil and to eternally establish his kingdom of righteousness and justice forever. That's his role. Now, what about his message? When Jesus first came in his first coming, his message was repentance. His message was repentance. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, repentance means to change your mind. A lot of people think it means to change your behavior, but if you change your mind, your behavior will be changed. It really means to change your mind. And so Jesus shows up into a world that's broken, that's fallen, that's bound by sin, bound by darkness, and really bound by the Old Covenant understanding. The Old Covenant or Old Testament between God and mankind was this. God says, you follow me, you obey me, you do things my way, and you will live. You break my laws, you break my commandments, uh, and you will die. You will be cursed, right? And so the onus and the responsibility and the pressure for righteousness was on the people to obey God. And yet this was not the permanent solution. We, we know that in the eyes of God, he sees it all, right? From the beginning to the end, from the end to the beginning, he sees it all. And, and this was a part of human history where God was showing mankind, you can't do it. You cannot earn righteousness on your own. It's impossible for a human being infected by sin to set themselves free from their own sin, to, to live a perfect, perfectly righteous life. We can't do it. And yet for centuries, Mankind was trying to earn righteousness before God, to please God, to try to to, to live the right way. And yet we come to the end of ourselves eventually when we realize we need a Savior. We can't do this. And so Jesus shows up and now he says, it's time to change your mind. There is a new covenant being cut on behalf of mankind. I have come, God himself, I have come to take on the skin of a human to take on the nature of a human here. I've set my God nature aside. Now I'm going to bridge the gap for you. And no longer is it on you to be righteous, but it's on you to trust in me, your savior. Wow. Change your mind. Repent for the kingdom of God has showed up. It's here. It's among you. Of course, Jesus was alluding to what he was doing and what he is about to do. He himself was making a way where there was no way for us to be forgiven of our sins. 
So repentance means place your faith in Jesus, not your faith in yourself. Trust in God, not your own righteousness. You can't do it. We need him. That's the repentance. That's the changing of your mind that Jesus was preaching. That's why he would say things like, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, I'm the resurrection and the life. You know, come to me, you'll believe, you'll come alive when you believe. And, and, all, and all of his messages was about bringing people to trust in him. And so we are all called to change our minds from living life on our own to our need for a savior. We're all called to change our minds from trying to earn righteousness on our own to trusting our righteousness in Jesus, right? And we're all called to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and to change our minds from trying to build something here for ourselves, but to realize that we should be building his kingdom, trusting in him for everything. So we celebrate the message of hope that Jesus has given to us in his first coming, that we can repent, that we can be changed, that we can be forgiven, that we can be saved, and that Jesus has made a way for all of us to experience a new life in him and through him, that the kingdom of God has entered the scene to dismantle evil and to defeat sin in our lives. So we celebrate Jesus's message that it's for us to come alive in him. In preparation for his second coming, though, Jesus' message is not one of necessarily repentance, although that's always going to ring true, but it's also one of faithfulness. Faithfulness. As Jesus, as we anticipate his second coming, Jesus' message to us is to remain faithful, to anticipate his coming and to be doing what he's called us to do until he does show up, right? This is found, a little bit of this message is found in Revelation chapter 22. It's all throughout his teachings, but Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 to 13. Jesus is speaking. He says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And we are called to look to Jesus for everything. We are called to trust in Jesus for everything. And we're called to be faithful to Jesus while we wait for his certain return. And we will be handsomely rewarded. We're on the winning team. Our Savior, our Lord, our Messiah, our King, is coming again. He's coming again. And Jesus tells this story, and I want to just touch on it for a minute. Luke chapter 18, 1 to 8. He's telling a parable to his disciples about prayer. But at the end, it's got a really powerful, he's got a very powerful statement I wanted to highlight. So let me read it for you, Luke 18, 1 to 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Always pray and not give up. In other words, be, be perse uh, have perseverance. Be persevering. He said, In a certain town there was a single judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. I need justice. Help me. <laughs> For some time he refused. 
But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God, or I don't care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice. And so she won't eventually come and attack me. <laughs> and the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? If an unjust judge will give justice to this woman because she perseveres, how much more will a just God, our God, um, answer our prayers as we persevere? Because God is not uncaring and God is not unjust. And so if an unjust judge, Jesus is saying, will give justice to this woman because she continues to be persistent, because she's persevering, because she's standing in faith, right? And she's believing, she's pushing forward. How much more for you and for me will God hear our cries? Will God come down from heaven and touch us and, and release to us his favor and his justice? And so, so Jesus says this, he says, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That's Jesus asking a question. And that's what God is interested in. You and I being faithful to his calling. Persevering. And it's kind of made in the assumption that at the coming of Jesus, there's going to be a spiritual decline in our world. And there will be a need for his people to be persevering, to be believing, to be walking in faith, to be looking to his coming. And Jesus says, will, when I come, will there be faith on the earth? Who will still be faithful? Who will still be persevering? Who will still be walking in faith? Jesus wants faithfulness in you and in me. Not being distracted by this world, not being discouraged and giving up, not, uh, not being filled with doubt that he will ever return, but being persevering in faith, fighting the good fight of faith. And so we anticipate the rewards, the reward ceremony of heaven, don't we? When Jesus returns, when we get to celebrate the ways our lives have impacted others through our faithfulness, and we hear the encouraging words of our Heavenly Father, well done, good and faithful servant. Good and faithful servant. And finally, I want to talk about his impact. In his first coming, Jesus came quietly. Remember, a single star marked his arrival. He appeared in a manger in the middle of a very small town, Bethlehem. He, he had a handful of people who saw him, a few shepherds, a few magi, his mother, his father. Right? That's about it. Maybe the manager of the inn. And a few angels announced his arrival to some shepherds in the field. But his true identity would be a slow and gradual revelation to the people on earth. Even after his resurrection, the message took many years to spread to the nations of the world of who he was, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Promised One, who came to save us, the Savior of the world, right? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, it says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, 
such as silver or gold or a checkbook, <laughs> that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, basically a life of sin, bondage to sin. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ or the Messiah of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. You were purchased by the blood of Jesus who was sinless. And he gave your, his blood to cover your sin. There is no more precious thing in the universe than the blood of God himself. And he was chosen, the Bible says, before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. He was revealed to us. Oh, this is God's plan. This is the Messiah. Through his resurrection, the revelation began to spread. The Son of God has come, and he has offered forgiveness of sins to all of us. That was his impact in his first coming. A slow, gradual revelation that this was the Messiah. Oh, <laughs> and so we celebrate that Jesus did not come to judge us the first time, but to save us and to demonstrate God's love for all of mankind. But his second coming, Jesus will not be coming quietly. <laughs> he will not be coming in a manger or with a couple people seeing him. He will be coming with great fanfare from heaven. All right? The heavens will roll up like a scroll. The stars will fall. And he himself will be the light of the world. He will be shining for all to see. He will appear in the sky. The Bible says every single person will see him. A trumpet from heaven will blow. A shout from an archangel will bellow. And Jesus will appear on the clouds for all to see. One passage in Scripture that talks about this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 to 17. According to the Lord's word, so now Paul is writing this, he's reflecting on what Jesus has said. Now Jesus either said this to him, or he said this to his uh, early uh, disciples and apostles, and Paul is repeating what he said. But either way, Paul either heard it from him in the revelation that he had with Jesus, or he heard it through the disciples or the apostles that he taught this. And so, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive and are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. This is our hope. This is our belief. This is our anticipation. We anticipate the great appearing of our Lord and Savior. Our ears long to hear the shout from heaven shake the earth. Our eyes long to see Jesus face to face. Our bodies long to be transformed into their new, eternal, immortal perfect state and we yearn to be united reunited with our loved ones friends who have gone on before us our entire being longs to be eternally reunited with god and to be free from evil and sin and all darkness and to enjoy perfect existence of love joy and peace what 
the joys that we have not even been able to experience yet, the depth of peace we have never had before, the complete release from all bondage and evil and regret and pain. Wow! That's what we long for. Jesus is coming again. We celebrate what Jesus has already done for us in his first coming. We long, but we long for the work that what he began in us on that day will be completed in his second coming. And we join the cry of thousands who have gone on before us and in the multitudes who yet remain with us in faith as we cry out according to Revelation, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. We're celebrating on this eve of his first coming while at the same time greatly anticipating his second coming. And when the eve of a second coming is upon us, we won't know. We won't realize it until the next day. And yet we are to be living as if any eve could be the final eve. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so may your heart continue to cry out in anticipation. Come, Lord Jesus. And may you be found faithful when he does. So as you are celebrating Christmas and getting all excited about the family and the time and all the, all the wonderful things that we enjoy at this time. Also, stir up your spirit in great anticipation that Jesus is coming again. Lord, I just thank you for this special day. We thank you for coming to us. Coming to us as one of us. Humbling yourself and taking on the role of a servant paying a price we couldn't pay by giving your blood, your own life, that we could have life in you, making a way for us to be forgiven and reunited with, our, with God and receive the gift of eternal life. Today, Jesus, we celebrate you as Savior, and we greatly anticipate your return as King and Lord of all. And so, Lord, may you strengthen our resolve. Help us to be faithful. Help us to keep our eyes on you. Help us to keep building your kingdom and seeking your kingdom first and not being distracted by this world, not being waylaid or discouraged or, or just uh, pushed to the side, but may you stir up our hearts, stir up our passion. Help us, Lord, to seek first your kingdom as we seek your coming and as we cry out, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May you enjoy this special day with your family and friends. And may you enjoy the love of God and the salvation of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you.